<laughs> yeah, I thought about it a little bit. I mean, you know, I'm not a religious person or anything. And if there was a God, like, this is proof that there isn't. Yeah, you tell us, Megan. You are the measure of all things, by the way. As are all non-religious people. Welcome to my podcast here. Yes, this is Raspy Dr. Paul. And you have reached his worldviews. Dr. Paul here. Started to get sick. Oh, on Tuesday. And though he feels a little bit better here, the the goober that he got has managed to ravish his voice here a little bit. So I'm going to be doing the best I can here on this podcast because I know some of you out there have been waiting for me to move this study along a little bit. It's been a while. A few days. I've seen uh, several people that have downloaded the last podcast. Thank you for that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it and you learned from it. You know, the Bible is a great thing if you actually pick it up and read it. And I hope that's what you have been doing. I, I trust that several of you have been. And so we're going to move this along a little bit more here. But not until we uh, give a couple of words about Megan Rapinoe. <laughs> she, she is a... She's a piece of work. There's, there's no doubt about that. She's the uh, soccer player, U.S. soccer player. You know that, uh, I mean, if you play soccer, good for you. Never did a thing for me. Uh, other than if I really wanted to fall asleep, turn on a soccer match. <laughs> now, like I said, if you play that, that's great. Have, have at it. And you like watching that, good for you. Uh, but it's not for me. But anyway, Megan was saying. Whoops, hang on. I mean, you know, I'm not a religious person or anything. And if there was a God, like, this is proof that there isn't. Megan's saying, I'm not religious. <laughs> you know, I love it when all, all these people project that worldview. And that's a worldview, by the way. Kind of goes right along with the old podcaster, doesn't it? But when people say that, that's a worldview. Oh, there's a... I'm not religious. Yes, you are. There is not one person on earth, either in the past or in the future, that is not religious. Why? Because everybody's been created in God's image. They all have a theology. Everybody listening to this right now, you have a theology of some kind. Hers is, I'm not religious, and uh, well, you know... Uh, this is clear evidence she had uh, Achilles uh, tendon surgery. You know, she blew it out during a match or whatever. And uh, said, well, this is clear evidence that there isn't a God. Actually, it is clear evidence that God does exist. <laughs> because there's nothing that escapes God's attention. It's just that people like her want to sit on God's throne as little gods and goddesses. And then they make snarky comments like that. Now, she probably was, you know, speaking in jest. You know, she had a, uh, a teammate that was on the stage there with her when she was taking all the press conference uh, uh, questions and the like. And so she probably, but Jesus made it clear, and I, I think this is true of her because of her past actions and commentary, uh, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so she's probably one of these, oh, I'm not religious, I'm a... Uh, I'm a nun, or uh, I'm an atheist, agnostic, or whatever. And I'm thinking, about, no, the Bible calls you a fool <laughs> because you haven't really thought out what it is that you're saying. You just off the top of your mouth or off the top of your head, and it kind of goes along with what we've been talking about here in the Book of Romans. You know, they don't want to give uh, or don't want to acknowledge God for who He is, and so they make up stuff and suppress the truth that God has revealed about himself in the world, in their conscience, uh, in the Bible, 
in the person of Jesus. God has gone out of his way to reveal himself in a variety of different ways, but people like that, well, they'll give me more proof. There is never enough proof for people like Megan Rabineau. Uh, something else we've been doing here, or I've been doing here, <laughs> we, you know, there's all kinds of people sitting here in the studio with me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I've been acknowledging the people who have joined, have become followers of the podcast. And I'm going to do that here real quickly. Since the last time uh, uh, I talked to you, there have been six, maybe seven uh, that have joined since. Uh, we have uh, the most recent one was Johnny. Johnny, uh, you know who you are. Uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for stopping by. Hope you uh, continue to follow. Hope you enjoy this. And then I've got four individuals here, and I asked Podcast or Podbean about this. Uh, who are these people? They sign in anonymously, and that's fine. Uh, are they real? And uh, Podbean confirmed to me that they were. Okay, so it is. So I've got four of those, and I've got a person that goes by Magic Fingers. <laughs> well, I hope you're. I hope your wife is happy. <laughs> uh, or if you happen to be a uh, female, I hope your your husband is happy. And then uh, Randy uh, is another one that has joined. So we had seven, six or seven that have become followers. And I, once again, I just thank you for that. Share the podcast with others. Even amidst my handicap here, as I sound like I'm talking through a tunnel. <laughs> but I'm going to do the best I can. I ask God for help here in doing this podcast today. Uh, because once again, I really wanted to move this along. We are in Romans chapter 7, which we said before is the Christian Constitution. Uh, not Romans chapter 7, but the whole book of Romans. And I think this is what the 19th episode or something like that is. We explain our way through here. Not necessarily in every jot and tittle, but in a way where we can honestly say, Dear Lord, we have read your word and we've gone through this in a lot of detail, to your honor and glory and to the benefit of the saints. And so we're up to Romans chapter 7 and verse 13. Paul up to this point has kind of done an interlude in chapters uh, 6 and 7, answering some questions or maybe some um, uh, detractors' questions about some things that have come up about grace and law. And what we're going to cover today, I think, is one of the most important uh, subjects that Christians face. I wish somebody would have gone here early in my Christian life when I was a brand new person, brand new Christian, 40 years ago, and showed me this because I had doubts about my life because of some things that I would say or do, never, it wasn't criminal or anything like that, except at God's sight, <laughs> all sin is black and ridiculous. And I was coming out of an old, you know, old life, the, the Bible speaks of that, uh, and tainted by sin and self-centered. And the instead of, you know, coming here to Romans chapter 7, and verses 13 to, was it, 25, and discussing this with me, because the Apostle Paul is facing or explaining the very thing that happens to all of us if we really consider what sin is about, grace is about, law is about, salvation is about, what God did, Jesus did. If, he, if they would have brought me here, I'd have been okay. But instead, it took, I don't know, a long time, I don't know if it was years, till I finally came to the understanding that that what I committed to is something that God had committed to me. And I was merely reflecting back to him what he had already done. And what God does, man doesn't undo. That doesn't mean we don't get in there and jack things up every once in a while and uh, get off track and start doing, I said before, that sin is stupid, uh, doing stupid things. We say something stupid. We do something stupid. We think something something stupid, and uh, pretty soon we derail our own testimony about ourselves, what we claim as a Christian, and uh, before long we're either running back down 
to back down the aisle to, to get saved again, which uh, I'll show later on, maybe in another podcast, where certain people who say you can lose your salvation, they run over to Hebrews chapter 6 and four uh, verses 4 to 6, say, well, there you go. You know, uh, you can lose your salvation. They, they run to there and thinking, I could get saved again. No, let me just tell you, what we're going to go through today is going to answer all of that. It's going to tell us why we sin and the struggle that takes place, and that if you are a genuine Christian, somebody was, well, you know, here we go, the uh, the true Scotsman thing. No, if you're a genuine Christian, biblically, uh, the way Jesus said that you're born from above by God's grace, you're in. And there is absolutely nothing that you can do to undo that. Uh, right now, I'm I told a guy that I was going to do a podcast on this very subject because he had raised it before, and he's done a video and uh, about Christian salvation and the like and how you can lose it. And I said, this is nonsense. You did nothing to bear yourself into the family of God, and you can do nothing to undo you know, that familial relationship with God. You're in the family of God. You're a son or you're a daughter. God is the one who did it. He's going to seal it to the day you get to heaven where then you will finally throw off the shackles of sin, receive the glorified body, and understand, at least to start with, uh, what salvation was all about. So the Apostle Paul, up to this point, he has you know, answered these questions about uh, being a part of uh, the Christian family and what the law and the bearing of the laws had on people. And as I pointed out, as the Apostle Paul has pointed out, uh, the law was intended to drive us to Christ. It's not a bad thing. Obviously, anybody who's been driven to Christ and and is saved by his grace, that's a good thing, to be saved by grace, to magnify what sin is about. If that's something that we are terribly negligent about these days, as so many Christians and non-Christians wander their way through the morass of the world, is that we don't talk about sin. We don't talk about it. And yet it is the thing that besets us. And if we go to the law that God gave, he'll show us where we're off base. But it's almost kind of like a thing I saw earlier this morning where a congressman, he's on radio, and of course I'm eating my cornflakes, trying to, through my plugged up nose. <laughs> and he's talking about, you know, the border crisis here in Texas. I live in the state of Texas. And of course, down on the border, we have all kinds of illegal invaders that constantly stream across the border. And of course, we've got a, a president that don't, doesn't want to do anything about it. Um, but the, this congressman, he says, you know, we've passed a House bill to do this and to do that. I'm thinking to myself, what is the point of this? Why? They're not upholding the law that's on the books right now. What, what point is it that you're going to pass another law? They're just going to ignore that one as well. And yet, when we get to the Bible itself and that particular law, uh, all it does is it magnifies our sin for what it is. It tells us what it is how we have rebelled against God, how it lacks faith, except in ourselves. We set ourselves up as idols, and uh, we go about our merry way, not knowing that all we're doing is stacking up God's wrath against us. That's what law does. But Paul then, he says at the tail end of, of uh, verse 12, leading into our, into our study today, he's answering you know, this question about the goodness of the law. He says, so the law is holy. And the commandment is holy. It's separated. It's, it's righteous and it's good by God's standard. God gave it to let us know what life was about. There has been nobody apart from the Lord Jesus Christ that has kept the law. And those, that's why it becomes important, the Bible talks about being in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a keeper of the law. How God works this is, is mysterious to me. But this is how God planned it out from the beginning. And so then we get to our passage here. In uh, verse uh, 13, we'll read this all the way through like we have before, and then we'll talk about it. How about that? 
Verse 13 says, well, uh, did that which is good, talking about the law, then bring death to me? Uh, By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And by the way, I would encourage you, if if you have a Bible, get it out. Read it along with me. And if you have any questions along the way, send me an email, podcast at capro.info, C-A-P-R-O dot info. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Like I said, if if somebody would have just sat down and read this to me and explained it to me later on, uh, what I was encountering as a as I was a brand new Christian, as well as you know later on in life when uh, sin crops up in a person's life, maybe they're a mature Christian that have been around for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, we all slip and fall right on our face from time to time. If this would have been the text, I would have said, okay. I get where this is this is this is going, where it came from. I know now, at least in part, it doesn't justify what I did, but at least I know in part what I did. And it does not separate me from the love of God. It does not kick me out of the family of God. So Paul says in verse 13, did that which is good, the law, then bring death to me. No. Meganoita. Here we go again. One of his more popular expressions that He wants to use to uh, emphatically declare that is not the case. The law did not bring death to you. The law exposed sin for what it was. It was sin. And you know, in this passage, and Paul's been doing this probably since uh, chapter 6, he's personifying sin. It's like like an intelligent being of some kind. He's not... It's not an intelligent being, but he's trying to make it a uh, make the reader understand this energy, this persuasion that has been passed on to us from the days of Adam is is there. It's constantly gnawing at us. Uh, it was sin that produced death in me through what is good, through exposure of the law. Sin, uh, when it is stoked by the law. Uh, it knows no bounds. It will keep going and pushing the envelope as far as it can go uh, until there is a death that takes place because sin ultimately results in death. And so what might start out uh, something that is a little white lie of some kind, uh, if it is, you don't have to be crazy about it because people joke, you know, have clean jokes and the like and play pranks on each other and have fun with that. That's okay. Uh, but we're talking about a little, uh, something, well, a little, a lot more devious than that. And it doesn't stop there. 
I, I, I've known of, at least through, you know, news articles and the like of different people that have worked in different uh, jobs and responsibilities where they're handling money and pursuing the temptation to steal it overtakes them. Now, they might try to rationalize it in some way, but in the end, it is a sin, and it doesn't start by taking a million dollars. It usually starts by taking a little here, a little there, and before long, the person is a full-fledged criminal uh, worthy of a prison sentence. That's how sin operates. It doesn't always just uh, uh, jump on you and and uh, compel you to go. Sometimes sins are uh, they're quite attractive. When Adam and Eve sinned, I took a look at that apple. There was nothing wrong. It was an apple, a piece of fruit. Uh, they looked at it, it was like, hey, you know, this is not such a bad thing. And the more they contemplated and thought about it and and uh, considered what the devil had to say before long, it was, okay, let's go ahead and have some. And from there, it was all downhill. And it went from not only disobeying God, but then pretty soon, as I pointed out before, they had their own religion started. They were out there by themselves. They were acting autonomously, you know, thinking kind of like with the Israelites later on when they kind of had their uh, run with the pagans, uh, thinking that God is not even paying attention anymore. He don't care. No, God does care. And sin, if you let it in the door and let it start... uh, uh, working on you, and you do nothing about it, it will eat you alive. Here it says he was that sin was producing death in me through what is good. The more he understood the law, what God expected of Paul. Paul's a Christian, by the way. Paul's a Christian. He's talking about the struggle with sin. He's an apostle of all things. He's not just your run-of-the-mill Christian. He's an apostle, and he's struggling with sin here. It produces death in him. It's separation. Your thoughts and your deeds and and your your treatment of your neighbor and how you claim to love God and do just the opposite. And he says that that law, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, it exposed it for what it is. We look at sin sometimes in a way where it's like, hey, that's not sin. That's something we need to participate in, whatever it might be. And uh, God has spoken against it. You can just read the Ten Commandments and kind of infer things from there. And before long, like I said, they're in full-blown sin, and before long there's death that occurs. The law is what magnified that. It showed sin to be what it is. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Because it completely, you know, exposed for everything that it is. Total abject rebellion against God. And God made it clear in the Old Testament that if the Israelites were going to enjoy their life while in the promised land, they were going to have to obey God. And as I pointed out before, the problems that you see today in Israel is because of their disobedience. When they first entered the promised land way back, you know, like I said, the Old Testament, they were promised to uh, enjoy the the. Uh, landscape and uh, the milk and the honey and the and the like, but it required you know exterminating some people. That's the bottom line. It was a oh, but why? I mean, why why would God order that? Because once again, God number one is working with Israel as His promised people, and He's going to work out His salvation in them. And number two, those persons were involved in all kinds of demonic nonsense whether we're talking about demonic worship of the pagan idols and the like or the sexual deviance, uh, anything that you could possibly think of is just abhorrent today in society or wherever you're at in the world because I know this podcast goes all over the world. If you see deviancy of one kind, just demented garbage that only the devil could be you know, behind in some ways, he's fanning the flames of the fallen nature, they were doing back then in the promised land, and God wanted that wiped out. Uh, but Israel didn't do that, and Israel has never done that. And so now you see some of the stuff that's going on today. They've got all kinds of heartache going there, and and uh, we'll see here in, in the couple, well, actually, probably, what, the next chapter or so, why God has put Israel on the back burner. 
and are having the problems that they're having. So he says in verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual. It's something that came from God. Uh, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. And that's interesting. Once again, this is coming from an apostle. He sees the goodness of the law. It is a spiritual thing. It's obviously from God who is spirit. It is something that reflects the nature of God as a holy being and all that he does, and he cannot stand to look upon sin. And he's revealed that to mankind by his grace. But he says, I'm of the flesh. What? So what? He's of the flesh, You're, you might be saying. Well, because here, once again, I think you have an allusion back to his first parents, not the ones that gave him, you know, a life on earth, his, his physical mother and his father, but he's going clear back to the beginning because he has inherited this fallen nature from Adam and Eve. All of us have to one degree or another. And so we're sold under sin. That's, that's God's perspective on us. When we walked away from God, we went into that prison cell that I've talked about before. And we're not going to do a thing until God lets us out, especially when it comes to that which is spiritual. We're not going to understand sin. We're not going to fight it, go to war with it or anything like that. We're not going to struggle. We don't care when we're, when we're just living in the flesh. Uh, this doesn't mean you should go out and you know, commit suicide or anything like that. This is part of, of humanity. You're made of uh, body, flesh, and, and soul, uh, and spirit. There's all kinds of component parts to you that God has created, but it's within that, then that fleshly element that uh, Paul talks about, don't give your members over to sin. Uh, that's, what's, that's where the conflict is taking place. And Paul says, I'm sold to that. He says, I don't know. I don't understand my own actions. And you know what? If you really stop and think about it, and I've thought about this a long time, I'll do something or say something that, once again, I think is just plain stupid. I, I'm going, where did that come from? I claim to be a Christian. I follow Christ. I, uh, I'm a born-again Christian. I believe I am filled with the Spirit. I believe that God is honored when I pick up his book and I read it. I try to love my neighbor as myself, try to love the Lord my, my God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and yet I do something stupid. I do lots of things that are stupid, and I don't understand it. Literally, <laughs> Paul says he uses the word gnosko here. This is not just your average run-of-the-mill, uh, whatever. I just don't know. I don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't do, I don't, I do, for he says, I, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. This is the internal struggle of the Christian. If you don't have that, if it doesn't bother you when you do something stupid, you do something evil, you lie, you cheat, you steal, you commit idolatry, and you know, really all sins lead to that. They're all a part and parcel of our idolatrous uh, nature. We want to be God. We want to obey the very thing that Satan said way back in the Garden of Eden. You know what? Uh, God didn't say, you know, that you're going to die if you take the fruit of the, uh, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, oh, come on, man. You know, if you do, if you do you're going to be like him and Adam and Eve went ahead and said, well, you know what, that's a, that's a worthy proposition there. I think I'll go ahead and do this. And before long, they, uh, well, like I said, they were running through the garden and hiding themselves. And that's you and I. That's what we do. We commit our own forms of idolatry. And D.A. Carson and Greg Beale had a great comment on this, you know, because Paul is kind of alluding to this type of a thing. Uh, he's in a roundabout way back to the garden, as I've said before, uh, when it comes to the coveting part, because in the, in the previous 
section of the previous podcast or previous section of Romans 7, uh, Paul had said he didn't understand what coveting was until the law came along. And they make an interesting comment here that I think is worthy of what's what we're talking about right now. Because if there's one thing that Paul does, he reinforces by repetition the things that he writes. And so uh, Greg Beal and uh, D.A. Carson, they have this to say, as the uh, connection with the Genesis narrative shows, coveting and therefore all disobedience to the law constitutes the rejection of God. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. I don't understand my actions because I've rejected the things of God. I've gone my own way. I don't understand that. And so they also go on and they say, it is the will that God not be God. And I read that I'm going, wow, that 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 is coveting. And, you know, I pointed it out that that was the 10th commandment. He waits to the end to really throw in the zinger. It is the will that God not be God. Why? Because we want to be God. And that if you if God regenerates you and then you go out and commit a sin, it blows your mind if you really sit and contemplate it. You, you meditate upon it in your sorrowful way, and you'll be going, why in the world did I do that? Well, then Paul's going to tell us why here shortly. I don't do what I want to do. I didn't abstain from sinning. Instead, what did I do? I jumped both feet headlong into it, and away I went. And before long, there was guilt and shame all over again. And you're going, oh, man, how do, I, how do I stop this? You know, let me just tell you something. If you're like me, and I'm sure probably most of you are, I'm not talking to any, any you know, aliens from other planets. I'm talking to fellow human beings. If you're like me, there are some sins that you're going to commit that are easy to get over because you quit doing them. There are some that are going to be branded upon you in your conscience, and you're going to fight and you're going to struggle with that all the rest of your life. This is the bottom line. That's just reality. I remember, what was it, uh, Charles Spurgeon had a problem with smoking, smoking his stogies. I think that was him. And uh, he knew it, but he wasn't giving them up. But hardly is that ever mentioned, the, the prince of preachers. The person, a lot of us, we pick up our morning and evening devotions and like, well, that was his sin. Maybe he had others. It wasn't talked about. But the point is, there are going to be some sins that are going to beset you, and you're, just, you're going to be scratching your head going, I didn't want to do that, but I did it anyway. Why? Why did I do this? He says in verse 16, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. The law told me about it. You know, of course, that takes picking the law up and actually reading it. And if you're a person who is on a regular reading, a Bible reading uh, schedule throughout the year, like I do, uh, good for you. The more times that you read and you study and you think about what God has to say, the more sin is going to become obvious. And you're going to start understanding just why you do some of the stupid things you do. If I don't do what I want... I agree with the law that is good. Why? Because the law exposed it for what it was, that it would be sinful beyond measure. It would be as black as what God in, you know, has uh, revealed it to be. We don't, like I said, too many Christians, they don't even want to get into that. It's controversial. No, it's not. It's biblical. It doesn't mean that you have to jump into the uh, sin cesspool and wade around in all the garbage and the gunk and what. It doesn't mean you have to do that. But it's it behooves us to understand sin for what it is from God's perspective. Now, once again, God doesn't get into all the the depths of the depravity of it all and and. Uh, Saying, you know, once again, get get your garment stained, you know, walking around the cesspool. He doesn't ask us to do that. He doesn't get into those kinds of details. And that's probably 
good on our behalf. Who who needs to know about all of the this is big today, all the transsexual stuff and what who wants to get into all of that? All of the perversion of it all when the, the Bible makes it clear that it's an abomination. Just leave it alone. You don't have to go to the sewer, you know, to especially if you see a sign out for it that says, Don't come here. Stay out. Beware. You know, there's a there's a bunch of stupidness in here. You don't have to do that. Just pay attention to the sign. And God has given us one. It's called the law. And so he says in verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it. Now, I think that's an interesting statement. It's not, I'm not the one that's doing it, but it's sin that dwells within me. Here's that personification again. Here's that principle that besets all human beings. We all get to struggle with it, especially, once again, if you happen to claim to be a Christian. Sin dwells still in there. I've had, I don't know, a few people along the way in my 40-year journey thus far of uh, doing apologetics and theology and whatever. Uh, I've had a few people say, "Uh, I don't sin anymore. (laughs) You just did. You just called God a liar. Because God has revealed the Apostle Paul here that sin dwells in you. It's still there. Oh, but see, I'm a Christian. That doesn't mean you still don't struggle with sin. In fact, if you're not struggling with it, I would seriously question whether you're a Christian at all. Because it is ever-present with you. Constantly, you know, dealing with thoughts in your mind and the urges in the body. You know, if you're saying, I don't struggle, I would say, well, number one, you're either not a Christian or you may be dead. <laughs> you're a zombie. It's not, it's not me that's doing it, Paul says, but sin that dwells in me. That's what sin does. It wants to push the human being to rebel against God. It's there. And you know, in a way, you stop and think about it. God allowed it to be that way so that we would be depending on him. That's what faith is. I just got in reading Hebrews chapter 11 to talk about, you know, the faith of all of the the past uh, uh the past faithful Old Testament characters there. That's what faith is. Unwavering dependence upon God. He's God says, you know what? You know, I know you're going to be dealing with, but you got to trust in me. That's why the Apostle Paul would later on say he has had this issue. And a lot of people say, well, it was probably an eye problem or whatever. But it was a problem that beset Paul. And I think it applies even in the Christian life. Yes, you should repent and you should ask God for for forgiveness and you should struggle like all Christians do. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Are you depending upon God's grace to get you through the stupid things in, in, in life? Or are you one of these that's, once again, you're going to run down the aisle on Sunday morning or whatever and you're going to say, oh, I've lost my salvation, and i got to do this again for the 427th time. I, I would say, you know, if you've estimated it's only 427 times, you've underestimated it, just how often you sin. Because once again, once you start down that road, as the Apostle James talks about, and you're trying to depend on your works or the law to try to appease God, uh, once you've broken one of them, you've broken them all. So if it's only 427 times in amidst your pharisaical you know, legalism there, you've underestimated the power of sin and what it does. It taints us in all respects completely. Is God's grace good enough for you? If it's not, then I would be checking to see just who you're depending upon. So Paul says, he goes on there about the sin principle dwelling within he says, I know nothing good dwells in me. You know, this is almost a, uh, a capitulation. That's a big word, isn't it? A capitulation. Uh, of what he had said before when Paul started this long list, this 14-point indictment back in Romans chapter 3, I know nothing good dwells in me. Paul said back then, uh, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. They've all turned aside. They've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. No good dwells in anybody when it comes to 
you know, the, the flesh itself. It is tainted by sin. And once again, as if you're going to live in the, uh, you're going to live in this world, uh, you're going to have to deal with it as a Christian. Nothing dwells in me. That is in my flesh. That's where the, the flesh, once again, is stoked by the principle of sin that dwells within. Oh, no, they see the Holy Spirit is in there. I didn't say that sin was a person, but that the Apostle Paul is personifying it as if it's something that thinks through, you know, the the, the, the rebellion that, that it can maybe persuade a Christian to commit themselves to. Once again, this is the mystery of sin, if you will. But Paul personifies it. It's, it's in there. It's alive. And it's doing battle back and forth with your mind, your relationship with God. Uh, most often, it leads to defeat of the Christian if they don't understand where this battle is really raging. And, and many times, you know, the Christian then, they say, they're going, oh, I'm going to deconstruct my Christianity because it just, oh, you're not deconstructing anything. You are either an apostate or you never were a Christian to begin with. Sin has so enveloped your life that you've quit trusting God. God's grace is not good enough to you because, once again, you're your own little God out there, and God is going to deal with you. You know, if you are a Christian, and I have pointed this out to others, you know, there, there is a disciplining on the part of the father with his children. And depending on the degree of the severity of the sin that takes place will depend on the degree of the discipline that is meted out. Sometimes it ends in death. It just depends on, you know, the severity of the sin uh, and other mitigating circumstances that God is only privy, privy to. But Paul says here, for I have a desire to do what is right. He just got in saying this. I have a desire. It is, uh, I have the will to do what's right. As a Christian, you don't have this as a non-Christian. You don't have the will to do what is right. That doesn't mean that all pagans out there and atheists and agnostics don't do what is right, but they don't have a reason to do it. They haven't really stopped and thought about it. What is the objective reason for doing what is right? The Christian will say, God himself. God is the principle. God is the objective reality that leads me to do what is right. I give him the credit. The atheist or the agnostic, he can't do that. He has no place to place, has no place to rest his so-called good decision, his right decision. Does that mean that it wasn't right? Oh, it probably was. Who knows? You know, to uh, uh, stop somebody from committing an act of murder is eh, probably a good thing. Uh, to obey the traffic lights, you know, at a busy intersection, eh, that's probably a good thing too. Uh, but you stop it, ask it, well, why did you do it? And you really push the issue? No explanation. No, I, it's all random. So Paul says he has the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This, imagine if Paul was talking as a lost person. It's the same thing as I've talked about before that the person who is in that prison cell of sin, that six-by-eight cell, he doesn't have the ability to do what is spiritual. He doesn't have the ability, much less the desire, uh, to do what is right. And what would that be? Uh, to carry out your prison sentence and, uh, in, the, in the case of the sinner, work off every sin, atone for every sin that you've ever committed in your lifetime so that you present yourself sanctified before God. That's what the sinner would have to do. But nobody does that. You know, the, the, uh, the persons that are sitting here in the state of Texas in the maximum security down in Huntsville, where they carry out their death sentences every once in a while, uh, many of them are hardened. They're hardened criminals. They're going nowhere. And a lot of them don't want to go anywhere. They don't know of anything other than prison life. And so they don't have a desire to do what's right. In fact, if you get in the, in the way of many of them, uh, you very well could end up injured or killed yourself. That's their worldview, if you will. They don't have the ability or the want to. That doesn't mean you don't have sinners that are in prison that don't get saved. They're 
probably are some. God can save anybody, anytime, anywhere on his schedule, according to his will, according to his uh, election. Uh, nothing's impossible with God. But once again, it's not something that they do. It's not something that the prisoner does or the sinner does. It's what God does. But Paul says, while I'm living out this life, I have this desire to do it, but I don't have the ability. I don't have the ability to carry out the law. I think it's great. I think it's good. I think it's holy. But I can't within my fleshliness. There's such a word. I can't carry it out. I don't have the ability. I can't obey the way I want to. Verse 19 says, for I do not do the good I want. I just don't. I don't obey the law. It keeps exposing sin for what it is, but I can't obey it in the fullness that I want to. I can't love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. Why? Because sin's there. Keeps kind of running interference. We keep stumbling over it. As I said, we keep doing stupid things. But the evil I do, uh, evil I do not want, is what I keep on doing. Why? Because it's there. It's winning, you know, it's share of battles. It doesn't mean it's going to win everyone. It doesn't mean you're going to succumb to temptation every time. But it sure wins a lot of the battles. It's not going to win the war, but it's going to win a lot of battles. And as Christians, we've got to realize that. And we, once again, we have to keep depending, having faith, trusting in God's grace that it is sufficient because it's not what we do, it's what he does. And by that, we grow and we mature. Oh, of course, we suffer along the way, but we know that all things, Paul's going to make this perfect, perfectly clear here in Romans chapter 8. That all things work to the good, to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Even our stupidness works to the glory of God. How that happens, God only knows. Once again, that's the mystery of godliness, if you will. But Paul says, I keep on doing it. And it's repetitive. You know, this, this word proso, this, this word for doing uh, is a is a present active verb. It's continual. It's day to day. The word in in English could be uh, translated as practice. It's something I practice. It's not that it's like that's what I want to do. It's something I struggle with. And so so therefore, so much for the people who say, "Well, I never sin." Uh, you just did. Congratulations. You just contradicted yourself. And to be a hypocrite as well, that's another sin. And to be lying, well, that's another sin. <laughs> you know, you're disobedient to what God has to say. That's another sin. You call God a liar. Yeah, that's it just goes on and on and on if you stop, th- stop to think about it. You're either going to agree with God and what he's revealed about sin, salvation, sanctification, all those neat 85 sin theological words. You're either going to agree with God in the sense of confession, that's what confession is, homologeo, same word, I'm agreeing with God and what he has revealed, or you're not. And if you don't, once again, you've committed another sin by committing idolatry. You set yourself up in place of God. I think I'm smarter than God is. I can assure you, no, you're not. Paul says it in verse 20, now if I do what I do not want, It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He states it or reiterates it one more time. Sin is in there. We got to deal with it. Uh, I recognize it for what it is because what the law says about it. God in his grace has given the law to us to once again drive us to Christ and see sin for what it is. If we're going to expect to stand before God in a righteous standing, then it's probably a good idea to at least look at the law and see what kind of God we're standing before. But a lot of times, and I talk to a friend of mine every once in a while about these types of things that are going on in the church. We don't even talk about this stuff. 
We don't talk about the Ten Commandments. We don't talk about hell. We don't. We talk about what's convenient. I was reading a book the other day about, you know, the seeker services. You say, what is that? Well, we're we're accommodating to the world. You know, we we don't want to really get into the depths of, of of what the Bible says about any particular doctrine. We don't get into hell and stuff like. That. No, no, we want to appease them, and so. We set it up as kind of an entertainment type thing. Some people would see it maybe on on uh, Madison Avenue in New York, or well, maybe Broadway. You know where we we go there, we pay our fee and sit in, and maybe something extraordinary happens, and our our feelings and emotions are titillated. That's how too many churches have become. And so when we come along with stuff like this in the Book of Romans, the Christian Constitution. Probably the greatest book of any of them in the New Testament. We just kind of, well, we don't really want to get into that. It doesn't make us feel good. I decided that I was going to start this podcast not to make people feel good. That's not my objective. I saw over and over and over, whether it's in podcasts or screencasts or whatever, in all of the different forums, and I see all the garbage going on in politics, and that's all it is, is garbage, a bunch of kindergartners fighting with, with each other. And I said, you know what? The, the data is clear. Our people, God's people, Christians, they're bereft. They have no grasp of the, the basics of what Christians even believe. And I thought that was sad. And in my menial little way, as once again, I'm sitting here talking uh, not 100%. My voice is not what it ought to be because I'm under the weather a little bit. I decided to commit to try to do the best that I could for those who would listen to understand what God has to say. Because if you don't have a Christian worldview as driven by the Bible, the living God who gave it, then you're going to miss the boat when it comes to life. You're not going to understand the stupidness that takes place in the world. You're not going to understand the tragedies. And pretty soon you're going to be falling for gimmicks here and there and wherever. Kind of like there's a there's a uh, pastor over here in Dallas. Oh, we living in the last days. I think what a stupid question that is. Pick up the Bible and read it. We've been living in the last days since Jesus started the new covenant. Now, the, the, his, his disciples and apostles were expecting him back then, but it hasn't turned out yet that at that time or even today that the Lord has come back. But he's coming. He's coming. But once again, that's the difference between gimmicks and picking up the Bible. That's the difference between trying to sell a book and trying to get people to commit to that which is substantive something that will improve their life if they'll simply understand life and the worldview, the Christian worldview, from God's perspective, the ultimate source of reality. And so once again, I hope you share this with others. Paul says in verse 21, so I find it to be a law. And here Paul uses this word, this namas is the word, uh, Greek word, uh, as not as something has been codified, put down in stone, kind of like the Ten Commandments, but as a principle. There is this principle out there. I find it to be a principle, a law, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Remember that. You may have all kinds of good intentions to do whatever, and you may very well carry them out. You may be led of God to do some extraordinary act for him. You fed the poor, uh, visited the homeless or whatever. God bless you for that. But remember, this is almost like what the Apostle Peter says, the devil is a roaring lion. He goes about seeking whom he may devour. Evil lies close at hand. And I guess, you know, (laughs) you, you really stop and think about it. Paul says that this evil is within it's not with, from without. It's within. And you know what? And that said, you know, he's talking about the ability to do things here. He's not able to do certain things. 
even your best intentions of whatever you manage to plan or you carry out are going to be tainted. Why? Sin is within. Sin is looking for a way to make you God, not, you know, God is God. God, you know, we, we, we will that he wasn't. That's what, once again, what Beale and, and, and Carson are talking about. That's within. We want the glory. We don't want to give God the glory. I did it myself or whatever. Oh, and like I said, this is going to come in varying degrees of deception. Just know that evil lies close at hand because there's that sin that's within. It's looking for an opportunity to spring upon you so that even your best intentions turn out to humiliate you in some way. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be exposed and be on the front page of the Dallas Morning News or the Forward Star Telegram or wherever, wherever you happen to be living in Canada or the United States. Your local newspaper is not probably going to end up on the front page, but in many cases it does. How many times do we see, or just, just do this sometime, go to Google, type in uh, uh, sexual assault and a teacher. Go look at that sometime. It, it, our, I, I, I doubt that you could probably find less than probably five just immediately in your area or somewhere near, nearby where some teacher took advantage of some student, whether it's male or female. Male or female teacher, male or female student. That's a sin. But you know what? That always starts with the best intentions. And we know where that goes. Paul says in verse 22, For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, down deep. I've meditated upon it. I've instructed others on it, being a Jew. I delight in it. I... uh I find it something to be satisfying. It excites my soul to be in the Word of God and understand just a little bit more about the person of Jesus. I delight in that, in my inner being, in my quiet time, in my devotional time. And I don't know if you have one, but I, every morning, early, early in the morning, sometimes I'll spend anywhere from uh, 20 minutes on the short end to over an hour <laughs> in the bathroom studying. It's quiet there. <laughs> I know it's like, what? Well, that's weird. No, it's not. It's quiet. And me and God get together and he shows me things I have never seen before through his infinite word. And he instructs me and we have a time of, uh, of uh, communion together. It's, 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 it's great. You know, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. But then he says in verse 23, but, but, there's a, there's a conjunction here. But I see in my members another law, that principle, waging war, waging war against the law, against the very things that I learned from God the things that are codified and in my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. It takes over and that, that dwells in my members. Like I said, this deals with your, your emotions and your impulses and your lusts in your body, the ones that want to take you astray. This is the Christian this is the Christian life, part of the struggle of dealing with sin and understanding why we do the stupid things we do. Paul then says, wretched man that I am, miserable man that I am. And once again, this doesn't mean you shouldn't rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. This doesn't mean that you should not enjoy the, the presence of other Christians and Bible studies and and, and Bible churches that actually preach the Bible, and they're not into seeker services and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this, this means, you know what, you are, in fact, I think you're probably way ahead of the game as far as maturity. When you come to this point in your life and you recognize 
just how miserable you are with the presence of sin. That's what's turning you off. It doesn't mean that you need to go around with a sackcloth and ashes and dirt on your head. It doesn't mean that you should be all moan and groan and, and whine and complain. And, you know, you're, you're fasting in a way where other people take notice, kind of like the Pharisees did. No, as you understand just what's going on within, how sin has taken you off track and does not allow you to serve God the way you want to. On the other hand, though, and Paul's going to make this point here shortly, that's not the end of the game. That's not the end of the story. Uh, that's not where it all is. Sin is not victorious. Jesus overcame it. Wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? This body that, that once again is, is compelled by the law to see sin for what it is and yet can't accomplish what is in the law. The very, uh, once again, we're uh, uh, made up of different parts as human beings, body, soul, and spirit. The body is the part where sin, you know, messes with us. And, of course, our mind is within our body. It messes with our mind, too. It's all pervasive. But the good thing is, once again, that's not, the end of the, that's not the end of the story. That's not the last chapter. In fact, the Apostle Paul's going to go on, and he's going to elaborate on, uh, more on this, on the glory of assurance in uh, Romans chapter 8. But he says here in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. He's answering the question, who's going to deliver me? It's going to be God himself. Once again, we can't deliver ourselves. This is why I keep saying salvation is not a cooperative effort. It's not what you do along with what God does. It's what God does, period. That's that rescue part here. He says, who will deliver me? The word here is literally to rescue you because you can't do a thing yourself. Left to itself, that sin would once again eat you alive and cause your death, final and forever, and you would get to reap the benefits of that for, for the rest of eternity. But because Paul's talking as a Christian here, it doesn't end there. God is the one who, through the Lord Jesus, what he did on the cross to atone for your sin, for the sins of humanity. He did it once. That's what's going to deliver you. That's what's going to rescue you from this inherent wickedness called sin. And so the Apostle Paul concludes by saying, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. And here I'm probably, he's probably talking about, uh, once again, what's, what's codified. I serve it. I use it as a moral standard by which to live my life trying to live uh, as holy and godly of a life as I can, as expected by God. But with my flesh, I serve the principle of sin. It's there. We get to wrestle with it. He acknowledges it. He doesn't try to run from it. He doesn't make excuses about it. He doesn't try to excuse his sin. He simply says, guess what? That's how it is as a Christian. And so I'm going to deal with it. I know where the sin is coming from. And I know why I do. <laughs> almost, almost, you know, speaking contrarily what he said, but I don't understand what I'm doing. I think he's talking about up in that particular section earlier as something he's been dealing with through his life. But when it comes to a head at the tail end, God is one's going to deliver as I deal with the sin that besets me. Well, there we go. Uh, I hope you, you, you enjoyed that. I, I, I hope that you will take it and consider it, that you would be equipped, that you would be more mature in dealing with the law and sin and grace and salvation in your life. If you have any questions or comments, 
you can write me a podcast at capro.info. I'll try to get back to you as soon as I can. Hopefully I'll be out from underneath the weather if you do. <laughs> yeah, this was tough, but I, I, I was just relying upon the Spirit of God to get me through. And so, glory be to God. Uh, glad I was here with you. I moved some uh, some of the other podcasts around over on Apple and stuff like that, so i got to get back to that when I start feeling better. Until then, pray for me. Pray for my family as we uh, struggle with this. Uh, I don't like being sick, but God's grace is sufficient for me. Y'all take care. Look forward to speaking with you later on. Glory be to God. Bye-bye. Thank you.